Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, everyone. I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This, your scripture study class. This is the Book of Mormon year, and we're in the book of uh, Second Nephi. We just, we're, this year we're moving to the Book of Mormon, chunk by chunk. It already <laughs> it feels, feels like, like a, it's going so fast. I know. Anyways. To be in Second Nephi is, is crazy. And y'all, I don't think you may have thought this before in your life, that Second Nephi 6 through 10, like if someone would have said that, you'd been like, oh man, those are dreamy. But hopefully by the end of this, you re- th- these are you're gonna love them chapters. They're going to be really great to study and super rad to teach. So be really excited. We're we're excited to jump into them. Before we do, you're going to think that we're crazy people, but we're not. And I'm going <laughs> to prove it to you right here. The week this video comes out is the week of Valentine's Day. You may watch it the week after Valentine's Day, but that day after Valentine's Day. Um, or I can't, I don't know what day Valentine's Day comes on. Oh, the 14th. Tuesday? Every year. I meant oh. like the day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you have got to be but kidding. It's never changed. It's a surprise. It's sometimes next week. It's Wednesday. It's on Wednesday? Yep. Yeah. So that is actually Ash Wednesday. So in the greater traditional Christian church, Ash Wednesday is the start of this season called Lent, which is the season that we prepare our hearts for a high holy day, which is Easter. So It's kind of cute that it's on Valentine's Day. It is day. really cool. It's cool. The day of love. Yeah. Right? This is where the love story Who planned begins. it? That was yeah. such good planning. Okay, we're excited. Um, it doesn't always happen like that. So enjoy the fact that it's this year. This year. Because so, of leap year. It's cool that, you know, because Easter follows... Um, just the full moon calendar. It's hard to know, you know, after the equinox and whatever all the formula is, it's tough to know when it starts. So it's tough. Like we don't have a Thanksgiving day necessarily that lets us signals us in and says it's now Easter. I mean, I guess you can look for peeps at Costco or something like that. That can be your, your signal, but (laughs) this is a day that um, Easter's the our highest and holiest day of, of the year. And I loved Elder Stevenson's talk in that April conference where he said, let's elevate that day. Let's really prepare for it. And and something that we've done over the Good News brand is we've created one of these. I don't know if you saw them at, at Easter time, but this is a 21-day Easter celebration. And it's just one way among so many that you could do to take the three weeks leading up to Easter. So this would start on about March 12th and have a devotional have something hanging in your home that reminds you, oh, just get my heart ready. Let's not let Easter just like kind of surprise us, but be really intentional and deliberate about celebrating the high and holy day of, of Easter. And so if you saw this on at Christmas time, I won't show too much of it because just go over to goodnewsbrandco.com and, and get one. I, I, they're already kind of moving fast. So we wanted to be first on here to show you if you wanted to snag one, just because once they're gone, um, they're just gone. So, But if they're all gone, no worries. You can find other ways that you can just celebrate and just be really intentional. And now that date's in your mind and it's cool. But this is just um, a really, you hang this up. You could use like command strips or something like that. And there is a scripture about him being a savior, a redeemer, or a deliverer 
across scripture. Most of them are Old Testament, which is cool because it's this and this anticipation book of a savior, deliver, redeemer coming. And then uh, a verse that's really pretty on there and then a question. So you could kind of spend it as your night devotional. And then when you get into, let me see if I flipped enough. Um, if you're just listening, just you're going to be able to go look on the Good News Brand Instagram account or the website to be able to see what you're not being able to see right now. Once you get to Holy Week in the 21 days, it begins a Holy Week study on Palm Sunday and then moves through the actual story of the of the Easter week. Which really is fun because it's like you get to live the story when you have it. Right. All of a sudden you anticipation building up to the Messiah and then you get to see yeah. the last week. And I think Easter. a lot of times people will do Holy Week, the full Holy Week is sort of, and we just like this that it starts two weeks before that and really just prepare a heart, and then it helps you prepare your home and your feelings and traditions um, for that. So we wanted you to know about that so that you didn't miss out. So more info over the goodnewsbrandco.com if you are interested in having that particular Easter celebration, okay? All right, let's jump into who it is that we are actually celebrating. We're, um, we're calling this lesson, Who is the Lord? This, is, uh, this kind of reminds me of a question that Pharaoh asks in... Uh, back in the book of Exodus, when Moses is given that commission, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he comes to Pharaoh and he says to him, Jehovah says, the Lord says, let my people go. And his response, I think it's Exodus chapter five. Uh, we're just going to see how, how good that memory is of mine. I don't even know. Oh, there's my other scriptures. Um, Exodus chapter five. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And I, I, that question is, I think, one that we should all ask ourselves. Who is the Lord to me? And before I obey his voice, before I commit to a relationship, before I commit to obedience, that should be the first natural question. Who is it that I am looking to? We all look to someone for answers. We all look to some way of life that we believe is going to be the good life. Well, who is it that we are looking to? The Lord has a way. And he's invited us into that way. And I love that today we're going to explore through these chapters, who is, who is the Lord, you know? Um, and so that's kind of what the, the focus will be, I think, as, as we go through. This first section is, is chapters 6 and 7. Let me flip this little friend so we can stay on track on this guy. Um, we kind of move through the scriptures, if you're just new, with us in sort of a daily block, like the daily reading that you might read as, as you go through. So 6 and 7, this is Jacob who's talking. This is Nephi's um, younger brother. In the chapter before, we found out that he was ordained as a teacher and a priest over the people. And so now he's kind of, it's almost like he's stepping into that role. And at least one of his sermons, because you hear in here, he says, I, I've, I've said so many things to y'all. Um, and here's just some of them that he's going to, to talk through. I, I want to, in this first column of scripture, highlight a couple things that I think you might like his intention. Um, in verse three, he says, I, you might want to underline, I speak for the welfare of your souls. Everything I say is for, for that purpose. You find out he's like, I speak again in verse three and with all diligence. That's where you maybe find out that he's been doing this before. In verse four, I'm going to talk to you, you might want to mark things which are and things which are to come. Those are going to be some of the things you're going to look for. And then at the end of four, for your sakes, there's another way to say for the welfare of your souls. And then that last line in four, that you may learn and glorify the name of your God. At the end of my sermon, if you are 
not adoring and celebrating and worshiping the Lord your God more than you are when we started, then I failed in my, um, I don't want to say responsibility, my goal. Because <laughs> he could have tried his best, right? Yeah. But that's my intention. That's my hope. And I love that it says the name of your God, because it's so tender to me that he's like, no, I actually want you to get to know him. Yeah, yeah. That's the goal here is that by the end, I want you to know his name. I want you to feel like you just met God mm, at the end of this. That's a really cool thought. Really cool way to see that phrase. Um, I think that's a great way to start and think through every talk I would give, every lesson that I would give to think at the very end of this, what am I teaching that's going to be for their sakes and for their welfare, number one. But maybe more important than that, will they leave glorifying God? Will they learn who he is a little bit more? Will they wish to be in deeper, committed relationship with him? And I think that would be a great measure if I were ever to speak or teach in a church setting, that that's kind of what my goal and intention would be. Um, In the margins, I want you to add one more into it, which is um, chapter 9, verse 1. And we'll come to this chapter a little bit later, but add this in as one of his intentions, because he says in that Um, 2 Nephi chapter 9, verse 1. Now, my beloved brethren, I've read these things, because he's going to quote Isaiah as part of his sermon, for this reason, that you might know concerning the covenants of the Lord that he has covenanted with all the house of Israel. Remember, two of the great purposes of the Book of Mormon are, one, that you would know the covenants of the Lord, that you would have this covenant consciousness, that you would see that this long story that the Lord is involved in, that he wanted to rescue all of mankind, So he called this family, this Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then Israel's family, who would take the rescue story to the rest of of the world. And you see how that plays out in ancient times and latter days. And he's like, I want you to be familiar with God's rescue story. Of course, the rescue story of the cross, but how are we going to take the message of the cross and the tomb, and also how to like receive those into your life to all the world. So that's his intention also, that you might know Jesus and that you also might know the whole covenant story. P.S., I think that's why these writers will quote so much from Isaiah, because the Book of Mormon has a particular purpose to make you aware, like keenly aware of the full covenant story of a scattering and a gathering and who's involved and how it's going to take place. Oh, that's so, a really cool thought. Yeah, put that into your into your thought. Like That's why he's going to share some of the things he's going to share. Which should make it instantly more intriguing to us because of the prophet we have right now and his focus on gathering. Yeah. Instantly, this should be like, whoa, this obviously is still relevant because our current prophet still wants to talk all about this. Yeah. The Book of Mormon trains you to think in, in a covenant way about the covenant story. I, I don't mean necessarily the individual covenants of like baptism, but I mean the full covenant story of God's promise to use this family to, to rescue the entire world. And even when this family goes awry, <laughs> he's going to give them chance after chance to still fulfill that part that they play in the story and just it's as you go picture. through. So a um, couple things that you might be thinking of as you look for on the, this next slide, your, your journal page in the journal. And then remember, you can get this in the newsletter as well to download. I really love this one. It is a study one. It's a, it's one you can just fill out. If you're watching, you can just see, like, you're, you could just go to town as it you It might be one of my favorite I really pages. like it. And you could just get a blank page. It's just cool because it will guide you through some of the verses. Mm-hmm. It'll like give you a place um, to start. Right. 
And you're answering this question, who is the Lord, as you move through each of these things. And I want to show a couple of things that we learn in 6 and 7 that answer that question, who is the Lord. I'm going to kind of follow along with this um, worksheet. If you like any of my answers that are on here and you're having a hard time reading on the screen, remember the PDFs of these are always saved in the app that you can go see, or you can zoom in and screenshot or whatever, or just listen closely. Um, I actually, it starts in six, seven, but I would like to start in six, six, this thought. And uh, it says, now these are the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people. And they shall bring thy sons in their arms and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. Just a couple of thoughts. Uh, this, you could take a verse like this and think to yourself, all right, what do I learn about who is the Lord from that? And one thing I learned is that he sets up a standard. And, and when you think about someone who sets up a standard, sets up this uh, flag that calls people, I learned that he is a God who gives a, gives a call, that he's a God who gives, a, gives my life purpose and meaning, but also that he um, prepares a way home. He shows me the way home. He, a, a standard is something that you gather to, and it's almost this idea of him like turning on the porch light. Saying like you come home. It's a it's a he's a God who calls us home and then makes a way for that to happen. You might be carried or on the shoulders, but I'm going to put people into your life and and situations into your life that are going to help you get home. That's who the Lord is. And maybe even in surprising ways. Yeah, because you, you would wouldn't have not expect yeah. a king to put you on his shoulders and carry you home. Right. And I love that. That yeah. he says, Listen, I have a way for you. And it might surprise you, but it's probably going to surprise you in the best way possible. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And sometimes when I read this, I think that's what he's talking about, that he's kind of referring to like um, government institutions and unexpected ways that I'm going to bring you home. But sometimes I like to take the K in my scriptures and put a capital K next to it and think Mm. the king is actually going to put me on his shoulders and he's going to carry me home. There's nothing more endearing to me than to my memories of riding on my dad's shoulders and my memories of playing possum in the car when we pulled in at nighttime from grandma's and, and making him carry sleep. me <laughs> and make him carry me to my bed. Like I just, that, that is, so true. is the image I think of every time I read that from mm. Isaiah. Six, seven uh, is one that you, now I'm only going to point out like just some of them. It's going to make us so sad not to just go crazy on all of these, but the, It'll make it more exciting for you. Yeah, to just study to go through, through and, and study because you're going to find your own treasures, and it's going to be so thrilling. Right. And the seven, thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that that wait on me. Um, I, I l- let me come back to that because there's another verse that kind of says that. So let me just kind of go through um, six nine. I want to call God a God of again, where He just talks about like these people are going to return. Again, I like in verse nine, the word where he says he should manifest himself. He's a God who's not hidden. I'm going to show you in some way and perhaps a way that's particular to you in your language and way of understanding that I am there. Uh, I like knowing that about him. In verse uh, 10, it talks about how these people will smite him and afflict him and push him away and want nothing to do with him. And yet in verse 11, it says, nevertheless, right in the middle, the Lord will be merciful. I like knowing he's a God of nevertheless. To a people who don't deserve it, to a people who rejected him, to a people who were awful to him, 
the Lord will still be merciful. We learn that about him in that verse. Uh, in verse 13, we'll come back to that idea in 13 because where he says this, um, well, 12, he will fulfill his covenants, which he has made. You'll see that in 13. Look at this line. Um, the people of the Lord, it says in the middle of 13, shall not be ashamed. For the people of the Lord are they who wait on, wait for him. I like that definition a lot of who are the people of the Lord. The people of the Lord are the people who wait for him, which teaches a lesson to us that says, as a disciple and a child of God, I will be waiting. Waiting will be a part of my experience. I will, Abraham's promises don't get fulfilled until he's 100 years old. (laughs) It's something to know as you read through scripture to understand that waiting is a part of discipleship. And same no, no, well, no. and then I was, but I wanted to say this, but I want to say this, but it says, but they will not be ashamed that those who wait, they're not going to feel disappointed in the end. He's not going to leave people high and dry. There's I, the fear inside of people where like, I don't want to love someone who's not going to love me back. I don't want to put myself out there. I don't want to like believe in a story and end up being duped in the end. I don't want to invest all my money and then find out that it was a a failure. There's something in us that, you know, keeps us back and makes us hold in. And the Lord over and over and over again says, you won't be ashamed in the end. I won't leave you high and dry. I will fulfill every single promise that I made. You will have to wait for the fulfillment. So waiting and trusting and hoping will be a part of it, but he promises in the end that he will fulfill it. Now, he has given his earnest. He has given us the cross and the tomb are the moment in time we can look for to say, all right, I can trust him. I, I am going to invest in this without fully, without fully knowing Uh, but waiting and trusting will be a part of it with that promise that I'm going to fulfill it in the end. And usually my heart is not inclined to waiting and it actually really hates waiting. I don't love it at all. Yeah. Except for if you take me to Disneyland and you tell me that I'm waiting in line for my favorite ride Mm. and then I'm like, make it three hours. I don't even care if you don't even tell me how long I'm waiting for. I could wait all day and it will be worth it to me. Yeah. And that's what that verse is to me. In the margins of my scriptures, that's what I wrote. He is someone worth waiting for. Yeah. That's the key is that I could wait all day in line for Disneyland because I know it's going to be good. He's the same way. Yeah. He's worth waiting for. Good. Such a cool thought. Waiting for God is not the DMV. Yeah. It's Disneyland. (laughs) Yep. In the end, it'll be worth it. I promise it'll be worth it. Even if you've never ridden it, you're like, you got you have someone you telling just, you, I you promise just, yeah. you it's worth it, and it won't break down. Oh, <laughs> this is the other true. promise in there. Uh, verse 14, uh, he will set himself again the second time to recover them. Those are words that you might circle to know about him in and there. And the second time, underline that a hundred times. Right. I love that it specifies mm-hmm. again, again, again. Uh, verse 15, uh, he is the Holy One of Israel. Oh, uh, it was verse 16 that I, oh, 17 that I wanted to read. Uh, this is such an interesting question in 16 that comes before it. For shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the lawful captive delivered? The question is, is there anyone in their right mind who would ever snatch the prey 
out of a predator's mouth? Would you ever be so bold to walk into the den of a lion and take away their dinner? You would think to yourself, if I'm the prey of a lion, game over, it's <laughs> lost, it's up, no heroes coming to rescue me. But in 17, it says, but thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. I don't care how big your monster, your problem, your addiction, your situation is. I will come and I will snatch you out of the paws or the captive grip of your um, predator. For the mighty God, it says in 17, shall deliver his covenant people. Um, maybe one verse in seven, and then um, we'll go, uh, oh, I want to do so many in there. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do two. I'm going to do two. Is that okay? Can we do two? Yes. Yes, yes. Okay. Yes. Verse one. I like those questions. Chapter seven, verse one. Have I put you away? Where's the bill of your mother's divorcement? Mm. Am I the one who decided to cut off this relationship? No. Uh, I'm committed to this relationship. And then you find out in verse four, how committed he is. He says, the Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season unto thee. You might want to underline that phrase. In, he's a God of seasons. O house of Israel, when you are weary, he waketh morning by morning. And I put in my journal here, he is as constant as the morning sun. If you are weary, morning by morning, you can count on light coming. You can count on him being there. Um, more in there that you will find and discover and just, and, and God will speak to you in, in your own um, experiences and ways to see um, cool lines in there to keep answering that question, who is the Lord? The next section, the next day's reading comes from Second Nephi 8. We're calling this one, Are You Not? And this is going to build on the same idea of who is God, what's his name, let me get to know him a little bit better. But this one's a little bit different because I think it invites us to be a little more creative. The last two chapters you can go through, you're going to highlight one million things and they're going to be beautiful and so good. This one for me sparked my creativity when I was reading and made it even more exciting to me. Because he's going to start off in verse 1 of chapter 8 and he's going to say, listen to me, um, I need you to remember where you came from. Look into the rock from whence you're, I am going to be so for real. I have Hewn. no idea. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, cut Hewn. out of. So it's yeah. like, look back to the mountain that you were like, came In out my head, of. I was yeah. like, I think I know what that word means. No clue how to say it. So <laughs> thank you. And to the whole of the pit from whence you are digged. I need you to remember who you came from. I need you to remember who you are and where your story began. Yeah. And then he's going to take you back. Look unto Abraham, your father, and unto Sarah, she that bare you. For I called him alone and blessed him. Mm. And all of a sudden, the conversation switches. The story that they're telling switches. And rather than spelling out who God is, he's going to say, look back in other people's stories and remember who he is. Mm -hmm. You might want to add different verses from eight to the worksheet or the paper that you're using. Um, some that they're going to spell out and also some that you might think of your own because you might want to stop right there and say, what did Jacob and his people need to remember about Abraham? What did they need to remember oh, about Oh, this Sarah? Jacob. This, yes, yeah, this okay. Jacob. Oh, sorry. Like, think, yeah, and you're confusing like, you <laughs> Abraham's got a Jacob. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Okay, Jacob, gotcha, gotcha. Jacob, the one that's teaching 
preaching. What did he need to remember about Abraham? What did he want his people that he was teaching to remember about Abraham and that God? And he's going to unpack it in verse three. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. And that wins me over instantly because I love that usually the waste places are the places you stay away from and the ones you're embarrassed about and the ones you try to hide. And he said, no, no, no. You learn that from Abraham and from Sarah and you will learn it in your life. I am not afraid of the places that no one else wants to go. Yeah, and also I think it's interesting where she would have, they would have considered themselves a waste place, right? Not able to have children. And he's just like, I'm I'm going to comfort you in that waste place and I'm going to turn your desert into Eden. I'm going to make you flourish. You look, your life looked like a desert, but soon it's going to look like the Garden of Eden is, is what I'm going to do. And if it were me, that is something I would instantly write in the margins of my scriptures next to verse two and three. What did you learn about God from their story? And just write that in your own words, because that's beautiful. You don't want to miss that. And he's going to go through. And did you want to ask yourself? Where are my waste places right now? Yes. Where are my wildernesses? And and be curious and and anticipate. Oh man, I can't wait to see God turn this desert into the Garden of Eden. And even better because this is what he describes it as. Joy and gladness shall be found there. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. And it's awesome with Abraham and Sarah's story because there was a lot of weeping. There was a lot of hardship in their story. But in the end... She names their child Isaac, which means laughter. Mm. Because like laughter finally came into her life. Joy finally came into her life. She was like, oh, the promise was eventually fulfilled. And that's how their story was remembered. Mm-hmm. When he rehearsed it back, he said, this is a story of joy and gladness and singing and praising and thanksgiving. Yeah. And don't you think this is cool too? That they're descendants of Abraham and Sarah. I want you to remember who you came from. You, and they were barren. So you, because you're a descendant, are evidence that God keeps his promises. You're a walking, talking piece of evidence that God is a promise keeper. That's what, that's what you, you know, because they're, they're barren. He said, I will give you children. I will multiply you. And they're like, how are you going to do that? So the fact that when you find out you're a descendant, you actually find out, oh, God kept his promise. Yeah, and there was a waiting period, a big waiting period. Right, 100. Which is, I think, so important. And then it's going to really win you over. I really had to say to myself once, David, don't get frustrated with God and his promise keeping until you are at least 100 years old. Oh, Is that how long he had to wait? <laughs> so it's so like, so he, that's humbling. Uh, yeah, that's so humbling. Like, <laughs> right, if he had to wait to 100, why don't you? So then it's if, fine. You know, I can do it. You President start, Nelson finally got start, there almost. Yeah, can, <laughs> almost President Nelson could start complaining. It's fine. He counts. <laughs> next September or whenever his birthday is. <laughs> um, it wins me over on verse number five, which I looked over the first time I read it, and now turns out it's my favorite verse of scripture of all time, maybe. My righteousness is near. Mm. The word near is so interesting when you read the next verse. I underlined that a million times. My salvation is gone forth and my arm shall judge the people. And this is what I love, that salvation is on the way. Yeah, It is already on the way. It's nearby. You can count on that. When you're waiting, if you are in a position like Abraham and Sarah and you are in a waiting moment, don't worry. Verse number five is a promise that Jesus is on the way. Mm, Amen. And you keep going and he keeps building off of this idea. You're going to start seeing in verse number, let me make sure that I'm not lying to you. Verse number nine, 
Oh, but except for verse number eight. And wait, the end of verse five for one second. We, you guys, we cannot do every word in here, but <laughs> when he says, I'm near, and then, I'll, and then it says at the end, and on my arm shall they trust, I'm close enough that you can like lean on me for a trust. I'm going to be that close. My strength, my power, my will is going to be that close and near to you. There's just you so much in here that's so good. Beautiful. And you get to verse eight and the very end I love after it starts saying the word and, and my salvation from generation to generation, because I think that's the lesson he's teaching is if you look back, you are going to get to know me better. You are going to see me save the people in the past and you are going to realize I will do the exact same thing for you. And then he says, okay, listen up. He says, awake, awake, put on strength. And then he says, oh, pause. I learned this morning that the Hebrew of put on strength can also be translated, clothe yourself with strength. So those who are a temple attending people mm. and a garment wearing people just might be interested to see translations like that in scripture. That all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay. Cool. Actually yeah. uses the word put on can also be translated to clothe yourself with strength. Beautiful. Cool, huh? And then all of a sudden he's going to say this. Are you not he that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Are you not he who had dried the seas and the waters of the great deep that hath made the depths of the sea away for the ransomed to pass over? He's going to go through and he's going to say, are you not that same God? The one for Rahab, the one for Moses. Are you not the same God that I have learned about the miracles you have performed my entire life? Are you still him? Mm-hmm. And if I were teaching right now or doing my own study, I think it would be so cool to stop and say, tell me your favorite stories from the scriptures, any one of them. Tell me any of your favorite stories. Make a list of them and then stop and say, what does that teach you about who God is? And make a list of that. Just do side by side on a board because that's the lesson here. Look back. What do they teach you? Who is the God in these stories? And what do you get to know about him? And then your best verse of all time in the history of ever, verse number 12, which is how you should end your lesson or your study if that's what you're doing. I am he. I am that same God. Rahab's God, I'm still him. The one that parted seas, that's the same God that we believe in. The one that beats giants and the one that heals lepers and the one that does the impossible things, things we can't even fathom are like hard to even believe that are real. We have that same God. Whatever you just learned about the God that you wrote down, the God of David, the God of Esther, the God of Alma, the God of whoever you just thought up in your head, you get to have that same God. You get to believe in the same God. Verse number 12 is your proof. I am still him. Mm Mm-hmm. And I will be for you, and I was for Jacob and his people. I will be the same God yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. I am he, yet I am he that comforteth you. I will show up. I am already on the way, and I am not far. And and 13 moves on for him to just say things. So is the Lord who stretched out the heavens and laid out the earth, is, is he going to forget about you? No. If you know I'm the God of the Red Sea... If you know I'm the God of creation, if you know I'm the God of deliverance from the ancient days, lean on that. You don't have to be afraid. And then those who live in our day, today, we have the Old and New Testament stories to gather together, to teach us who is this God that we lean on. Sometimes like, if someone makes a promise, 
The promise is really interesting, but the person who makes the promise is actually more interesting in that discussion. If I said, it's going to rain tomorrow, your question should be, who said? You know, that's a guarantee. Who's guaranteeing it? So this is a way that the Lord is telling us. And you'll find throughout these scriptures several times, thus saith the Lord God. That's who's signing it. That's who's making the guarantee for each and every one of these promises. And in case you wonder if that's true, verse number 16 ends with the best line of all time. Behold, you are my people. Mm. You always have been. You always will be. If you are my people, I will show up for you. I will comfort you. I will bring miracles with me. I am your God and you are my people. The same God they had is the same God you get. Oh, amen. Okay, chapter 9 and 10 are going to be similar. We're just going to keep going kind of on that same idea and learning about who this God is. Who is the Lord and who do I need him to be? Uh, 9, if you go over to the next slide for me, Grace, I want to kind of set up like this. Jacob, at least at this beginning part of 9, well, kind of throughout the entire thing, sets up, this is my kind of hope and intention. Here is a problem and here is a solution. And he will go back and forth between all of these. So you might take three different colored pencils and say, this is a hope of God, like end game, his purposes, color. And then blue is going to be every time I see a problem. And then yellow is going to be every time I see what the solution is that God, because as Jacob speaks and he introduces problems, it's interesting that he can't almost immediately say right after, but don't worry. He's like, let me point out a problem that you may see in your life right now, one that you may sense down in the depth of your soul, but don't worry. And he keeps doing that throughout. So it's kind of neat to see that he does that. I do want to start on this verse right here, verse two, where he says, um, he has spoken unto the Jews by the mouth of his holy prophets. This is chapter nine, verse two, even from the beginning down from generation to generation. And then that word until circle it and he'll keep doing it. He'll keep reaching out. He'll keep sending prophets. He'll keep inspiring the men and women of this world until the time comes that they shall be, here's some words to underline, restored to the true church and fold of God. Fold is a a lamb under the protection of a shepherd. Um, When they shall be gathered home, home is such an endearing word there, uh, brought back into the inheritance established in all their lands of promise. That's a, that's a hope verse that I'm going to keep reaching out. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep inspiring. I'm going to keep moving until everyone's restored, gathered home, established, and every single one of the promises are kept. And then he says, moves on to that. And, and he talks about, then he's going to start talking about the great creator of all men who will come to the world to suffer and die to make this all possible. So that's the hope, verse two. How is it going to happen in that verse five is how it's going to happen. And then you start reading and finding out some of uh, the problems. In verse six is part of the problem. Death has passed on all men. As you read in the Book of Mormon, sometimes it will separate out that spiritual and physical death. But sometimes all the problems are wrapped up just in that one word of death. Because not not only just the death of the body, but um, the death of all things. That, unless things are redeemed, chaos and um, what do you call it when it's like that? Um, 
almost like the fate of everything is to decay and to die. And he's just like, unless something intervenes, there's going to be death. And Jacob speaks about death pretty permanently. Sometimes we'll talk about death and we'll just say, oh, what? They died, but don't worry, they went to heaven. Or don't worry, um, I get to see them again. You're actually being really joyful about the solution to death. That's why you're, you can go to a funeral and you can say to yourself, like, this is a good thing. You ever been to a funeral and someone said that before? You're like, no, no, it's a good thing. It's like, not because of the death, because he'll tell you what happens with death. He says this in death. Um, he says, uh, if there were not a solution, in verse 7, see, he can't help it. He's already going to tell you the solution at the beginning of 7. <laughs> He's like, if there wasn't a solution, <laughs> corruption could not put on incorruption. And that first judgment of death will come upon all people and it will remain for an endless duration. All flesh will crumble and rot in its mother earth to rise no more. And then you see, he can't help it. He's an optimist. Oh, but the wisdom and the mercy and the grace. But if it didn't, (laughs) if there wasn't a solution, look what it says in eight, everyone would become subject to that angel who fell from the presence. And we, in verse nine, would become like him. And we become devils, angels to a devil, shut out from the presence of God to remain with the father of lies and misery, yea, to that person who first beguiled our parents and and murder and darkness and death and bleh, right, is what he says. (laughs) Like he just says, eventually, and I remember reading this when I was younger and thinking to myself, I would never become like the devil. Like I would never like become like him eventually. But it's interesting to think if there were no other solution, if there were nothing drawing your heart to something better, if there were no rescue story, if there were no second chances, I do think eventually I would just give up and let it take its course. Hmm. And so this is where you see Jacob really talking about this idea of, oh, how great, the, this verse 10, the goodness of our God who prepares a way for our escape from the grasp of this awful monster of death and hell. Um, this story is kind of, this scriptures are endearing to me a little bit. I was reading it and then kind of around the time that I was reading it, I, I went home and we were all kind of sitting around. And so my kids were all pretty little and uh, Christian was looking at like the gospel pictures book and he came to a picture of the crucifixion and he just had these little chubby fingers and he just touched the hands of Jesus and the feet of Jesus on, on the cross and uh, then he looks up at me and this little, must have been four years old or something. And he said, dad, why did Jesus have to get the spikes? And I quoted Alma and said, well, to satisfy the infinite demands of justice, son. <laughs> <laughs> and he was really smart as a four-year-old. So he just not he, like, he loved it. Got it. Yep. <laughs> um, but I thought of these verses and particularly that word that Christian would, um, re- would relate to in verse 10, this awful monster. And I just said, um, let's pretend mom is heaven and mom's the hope, you know, mom's mom will represent restored and gathered home and established and all promises kept. Um, why don't you try and go get her, go, go to mom. And he tried and I grabbed him. And then I said, well, the problem is there is this monster, uh, and his name is death and hell. And he's got hold of you and you can't make it to her. And when Jesus died, we find out in these verses uh, 6 and 7 and 11 and and 10, when Jesus died, um, his death somehow uh, killed the monsters 
of death and hell. And then I, I died and Christian, <laughs> you know, got free and, and ran over. But I, I love these verses that do lead us to, to praise and to, and to shout out and to want to sing and write songs and poetry about the, that goodness of God. It's good sometimes to understand, Elder President Benson said one time, nobody um, eats food until they first realize that they're hungry. And in that same way, no one desires the saving and redeeming and delivering Messiah until they realize the problem of the fall and, and death, both physical and spiritual, that they have inherited because of, um, because of the fall and because of our own transgressions. And so I like, I really love for Jacob to teach in this way. Like, there is a monster. It's got its grasp on you. But good news, good news, good news, there is an escape. And it costs the great creator his life in order to rescue you. But he, but he did it and you are free. Hmm. Verse number 10 in chapter 9 is the beginning of this moment of praise in the chapter. And the next section is based on that praise. We're oh, pause. In. I'm so sorry. I forgot about our guy. Oh, yeah. Was that so one. True. Good thinking. Yeah. Okay. And so the tender Wait, and mercy. Who loves that picture? Me. So cool. It's this monster. Yeah. <laughs> the tender mercy this week is the one that looks like a monster. And the monster is not the tender mercy, but our great escape. <laughs> that God provided us an escape from that. And so you can put this on your poster right next to the smiley face. And or, every kid is going to love that. Yeah, yeah. Or um, this lady sent me a picture this week on her DMs, and she is putting it right here in her journal. Oh, she cute. was like, oh, I didn't have room for this big poster. So I'm actually just printing them out and putting them each week inside my Way um, cool. journal pages. Okay, we love that. So, okay, that's so now, the that's the tender mercy for this week on the Okay, sorry to interrupt. So now the next section of this reading is going to be chapter nine, verses twelve through twenty-two. We're calling it "Oh, how great!" because we really do enter into this moment of pure praise. And at the very beginning, before I even well, after I read it, and then I wanted to reread it, I wrote at the top of my page. Um, I just wrote what makes him great mm. because it's going to go through and it's going to describe. So many different verses calling him great and then specifically saying what makes him great. And I think that is something so powerful to highlight and realize because there's one thing about believing in God. There's a separate thing about believing that he is someone great. When you believe in a great God, that's what changes your life. Yeah. So like to believe the difference between believing he exists. And then knowing he's great. What he's like. Yeah. His character, his personality. Because he could be Zeus or like Hades or like Poseidon. Yeah. You know, but that, but he is God. He's powerful like God, but also. And I love that. That's cool. That he just wants to point out all of his best, best characteristics, attributes. He's just going to go through and say, this is really what makes God great for me. And. One of the, so one of the questions in the journal, oh, yes, I'll just show this for anybody who's filling this out. There's kind of a list, a section here. It's like, hey, write out some of the O's. Um, the, the O's are the praises. Like, oh, how great. There's mm-hmm. like one exception. Like, it's, oh, the devil or something <laughs> like that. But um, these are the O's. And then in the next one, we'll show you the woes. So if you're answering that question in your journal, this is where you'd fill this out. And if you're following along super specifically with the reading, I'm cheating the reading and we're going back because you can't miss verse 10 when you do the O's because that's the beginning. Oh, how great the goodness of our God. Mm. And just highlight that word goodness. And if I were doing a personal study, it just makes me want to stop and think, what do I know about the goodness of God? 
where do I see his goodness in my life? I see his goodness in the moment that I'm taking off my ski boots at the end of a ski day. That is like my best part of my day. I love that moment. I see his goodness sitting down at my counter with all my friends and eating cereal before we go to bed at night. I see his goodness. Just make a list. That's how you're going to figure out he's great is once you start seeing what Jacob describes in your own life. Oh, he is really, really good. Perfect. Let me realize his goodness in my own life. And then he's going to keep going through. Verse 13, he's going to describe, oh, how great the plan of our God. We have a God who plans for us. That makes him great. What about the plan is great? Why does that make us love God more? What about the plan is something that introduces us to who God is? And particularly in this context of, you know, in the Garden of Eden, when God promises and says, and if you disobey, I, I, I've already arranged a Savior and Redeemer. I have a plan to rescue you no matter what happens on that earth. And it's cool to like just know from like, before any thought of a mistake ever is made, I've already prepared the plan of redemption. And then that's so beautiful to me that we get to know, oh, we have a God that's a planner. Yeah. I need that. I'm not a planner. I was just about to say I needed to do it. Yeah, so perfect. <laughs> so perfect that he plans for the whole touches my soul, actually. <laughs> so that's good that we have a planner. But then you go to verse 17. Oh, the greatness and the justice of our God. That is really intriguing to me because usually sometimes, usually sometimes, for me it's usually, for you guys it might be sometimes, um, justice seems scary to me. I like a merciful God. I want my God to be great in mercy. Great in justice kind of like makes my stomach squirm because I feel like I'm going to be wrecked by him because I'm so bad. But it would be so interesting to sit down and really think, why is justice great for me? What does that mean? What does it actually mean to have a just God? Who is that for me? Because there are moments in my life that I want justice. Yeah, That's, act that's a benefit for me. That's making my life better. I need that. Yeah, and maybe a, a helpful way to understand that word as it's used in Scripture often is to set things right. Like the justice of God is to set... And it's easy to think about it, you know, when I see like, oh, if I see injustice in the world. Yes. If I see someone being treated unjustly, that God is a God of justice and He will set those things right. He's going to make it up to like, you. Yeah, that's what the... That might, that might be a helpful way to fall in love with that word of justice. Yes, for sure. Then you go to verse 19. Oh, the greatness of the mercy of our God. There he is. That's the way yeah. you... <laughs> <laughs> right after, right after. So you can have both. It's fine. Um, and even that whole verse of our God, the Holy One of Israel, for he delivers his saints from that awful monster, the devil and death and hell and that lake of fire and brimstone, which is endless torment. That's the God we believe in. That's what makes him great is he sees the mess and the disaster and the fear and the scary things. And he says, I will take care of that for you. I will save you from that. I will deliver you. And to just remember when you read verse 19, that he says, it doesn't say, for he sendeth his saints to that awful monster and devil. And like, mm. he's not a God who's, he's trying to rescue people from that fire and brimstone and the devil and all of those things. And the great part about him in that context is not the greatness of justice. It's the greatness of mercy. Yeah. He wants to remind you that he's not the one that's sending you there at all. 
That's the just came before. This is the mercy. Yeah. He's saving you from that. Right. Verse number 20. Oh, how great the holiness of our God. He knows everything and there is nothing that he does not know. Hold on to that premise. What does that teach you about who he is, his character? The more you look at these and highlight, I think your heart just instantly starts wondering about who he is, his character, his mercy, his grace, all of those words. You start wondering, what does this actually mean about who he is? And what an exciting and thrilling chapter or section to get to know him better. And the last one is not in this section. We're just skipping ahead. It's fine, you guys. You can just do that. And it's the last O. And it starts in verse 44. Oh, my beloved brethren. And you go through the more that you look at this and it wins your heart. This is our praise. This is our moment of worship. I should shake off your, behold, I take off my garments and I shake them before you. I pray the God of my salvation that he view me with his all searching eye. And I will realize that I shook your iniquities from my soul and that I stand with my bright, with brightness before him and I am rid of your blood. This is a moment that he's talking about his people. I did everything I gave you, my all. I tried to teach and help you and bless you. I did everything I possibly can. And maybe if you're a person that thinks in your head a lot, I am trying my very best. That's what you can translate the beginning of 44 to. I did my very, very best. And verse 45 Oh, my beloved brethren, turn away from your sins. Mm -hmm. Shake them off. Shake off the chains and come unto the God who is the rock of your salvation. Prepare your souls for that glorious day. This is our moment. I will give you everything I have. I will dedicate my life to helping you. Stand up. Shake it off. Get rid of all the mess in your life, the filthiness that you've experienced, and get ready because he's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we kind of jump into the woes, I, I love this of the on the Read It, Live It calendar. Um, it comes from verse 20. What's your greatest fear today and what's your greatest hope? And does it bring you peace to remember that he knows all things? Because it says that in that verse, that, oh, like he knows all things, right? Oh, how great is the knowledge of our God. But then I would add all these things. Oh, the goodness, his plan is just his mercy, his holiness. And then this question is like, hold on to that peace today. Like you said at the very, very beginning, what does it look like to live life knowing this about him? Now, quickly, the woes part of it in this, in this chapter, the next section, most of them you'll find in 23 through 43, but there's some mix over. And let's just show that list, Grace, on here. Um, there is an enemy to the plan. And Jacob is going to be very clear about that. And he feels like his job as a teacher is to warn you. Uh, I heard one teacher when I was younger, and I've never forgot it, said, whoa stands for watch out. <laughs> and so I've all, I don't know, I don't, maybe it doesn't actually, but I've always just thought that in my head. But it's, an easy but it's fitting in all of these two, where he just says, let me tell you about some different things that are going to distract you from that greatness and goodness of, of God that will pull you away from your purposes, that will pull you away from the deliverance that he's trying to bring you toward because his invitation at the beginning of this reading in 23 is, so he commanded all men, turn to him. It says repent, but I'm turn to him. Be baptized in his name. Enter relationship with him. Take that name. Enter into his inheritance. Have, have perfect trust and faith in the Holy One of Israel and be saved in the kingdom of God. 
But if you're pulled away from the only savior there is, then you would just be left with that other option of like death and, and destruction. And at the end of these lists, he says, he, he'll say this to you, which um, see if we can find it. Grace was carnally, oh, 39. But let me save it and just give you the list first. Look in 27. Careful that you don't waste out your days and pretend you don't have a, a, a purpose. Um, be careful of vanity and foolishness and frailties. Like th- these could trip you up in, in your life. Everyone's going to have them, he keeps saying. That's why he started with repent. Like, we're all going to have to turn back. But just be careful because these can become, be careful of despising people when you get a lot of money and, and all feeling like you're better if you, if you have a lot of opportunity and knowledge. Be careful that you don't block your ears and block your eyes and, and block your heart. Careful of lying and murdering and these will be the things in the world. And they'll be the things that will draw you away from the greatness and goodness of of your God. And then I put at that very end, that 23 is like, hey, be careful that you are, that when you make a mistake, when you have a frailty, when you have a weakness, that you don't just listen to the lie of the devil and say, well, then there's no other chance, but turn back, he says. And 41, I just want to end this part by saying, he says, uh, come unto the Lord, the Holy One. Remember his paths of righteousness. The way for man is narrow, meaning like you can't live however you want. If you want to live in a spiritually minded way, he says in 39, he says, all of these things, if you follow any of them out, if you live blind to God and other people in the world, it'll lead to death, a spiritual death. If you if, if lying is the way of your life, like multiply a single lie by over a thousand years. And what happens to a person like that? He's like, they they just breed death. These are the seeds of death and they'll grow up to that. And he says, so no, you can't live however you want. That's what he means when he says it's narrow in 41. Of course there's restrictions. On that side is death and that side is death. So he's going to show you this is the way to live in a spiritual, um, the, in the way that breeds life, he says, in at the end of 39. And he says, but it's in a straight course before you. God, he'll make it really, really clear how to find it and how to get there and how to be there. And at the gate will be the Holy One of Israel. And he doesn't get a sub. And he doesn't employ a servant to stand there. He is at the gate. And I would also say he is on the path. And he will come and rescue you off the path if needed and will be your companion and guide Every single step of that way, that's what it means and looks like to live on a covenant path. It means to walk and live in companionship with the Holy One of Israel. So um, watch out for these things. And he just admonishes them, choose to walk with um, Jesus instead. There could not be a happier ending in the whole entire world probably than this ending of this section. We call it cheer up because what he says at the end. And maybe you feel like you need a little cheering up after all of the woes in life and in these chapters. This moment that you're like, there is a lot of ways to go wrong and I might not be doing my very best and I am slipping and I am tripping. And he ends with the happiest verses ever. And chapter nine, let me find if this is true. Chapter nine, verse 50 He says, come, my brethren, everyone that thirsteth. Mark everyone one million times. Everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that has no money, come by and eat. 
Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. The very best there is, the luxuries, the things that you only wish for in your heart, the things you're desperate for, the things that you need so bad, just come and get them. No price attached. And I think sometimes we could read that and in our heads we can think, oh, they're free. Perfect. Um, I think that they actually did cost something. The price was pretty heavy. And it's free to us and it's without price for us, but someone paid. And it just makes me want to mark next to that chapter 10, like make a little note, chapter 10 verse, now let me find it, verse 24. And if you go there, it just says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, reconcile yourselves to the will of God and not to the will of the devil and the flesh. You know where that will take you. And remember, after you are reconciled unto God, that it is only in and through the grace of God that you are saved. There was a price and it was a heavy one. But don't worry, he covered it for you. He paid the price. So come and get everything you need, the best things in your entire life. The price was paid and that is grace. That's what we get now is grace. And that's our word. That's our poster for the week is grace. And it comes from that verse, 2 Nephi 10, 24. And the first word in the definition from the 1828 dictionary is free. And it instantly reminds me of that verse in chapter nine, that we get the very, very best there is Mm -hmm. for free because he was willing to pay the price for us. Mm -hmm. And and it just, when you look at the rest of this definition, unmerited love and favor, the spring and source of all the benefits people receive from, you go back to that O list that we had. That's Mm -hmm. that's a line that seems to, oh, how the goodness of his plan, the goodness of his mercy, those chapters six and seven to remember like, everything he does and everything that he is and everything that he keeps doing a second time again and again, not giving up until everybody. And then all those verses as, as you go through that um, in there, that verse 10, now beloved brethren, seeing that our merciful God has given us so great knowledge concerning these things, let's remember him. Um, isn't that, isn't that awesome? Like we kind of focus on, and what you were saying, let's just not remember him but let's remember what he's like. Hmm. Let's remember him and lay aside our sins. Don't hang your heads down. This is so awesome. Don't hang your heads down. We're not cast off. We haven't been driven out of the land of our inheritance. He's a God of second chances. We've been led to a better land and God's got good, great, wonderful things in store for every single one of us. And then he just wants to say in verse 23, so cheer up your hearts. Yeah. You yeah. can choose that. You can choose him. Right. You, you can choose it. You've been given the option. We didn't deserve it. We didn't pay for it. But God has put it on the table. And it is a full table full of, what's that line? Feast on the fatness <laughs> of the grace and goodness and mercy and merits of um, the Holy One of Israel. And what an invitation to a party we ought not even be at. But he says, come and be a part of it all. That's something to be so happy about. Yeah, yeah. Hallelujah and amen. And we'll see you next time for more. Oh, the the big Isaiah chapter chunk. Don't be sad. Be excited. So good, yeah. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. 
Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.